Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. listeners to the dogs program there we had the fanfare for the common man uh we're not exactly common here in the old sense of what my mother used to say (laughs) was common uh no we are really quite special people because we are promoters of public education because public education is very special education it is public in purpose and outcome Above all, it is public in access. It is open to all the children of Australia and any other country where they have a public education system is the same. It should be public in ownership and control and that is a question with some of our private public partnerships. And above all, it should be publicly accountable. The public education system is actually the only one that can be publicly accountable because uh, it is open, is taxpayer funded and it is open to every cent being accounted for which is more than we can say unfortunately for the so-called independence system which is government funded but not publicly accountable. Now we have a website at www.adogs.info and we have a press release which is going up there for this week. Press release 801. But during the next hour, we've got some other very interesting material for you too. Robert's not here, but we do have a great state school later in the program. And we have a very interesting article on TAFE. But this article on TAFE applies to the whole of Australian education. We are at a crossroads in Australia. The question is, are we going to follow America with its neoliberalism and its emphasis upon inequality in this generation, with its emphasis upon choice and meritocracy at the expense of equality of opportunity? Or are we going to follow countries like Finland and Norway and even even Sweden, which has an old class system, Or are we going to follow England, which is going back into a caste, an ethnically divisive system? We we suggest that we should be looking at the Scandinavian countries if we want to make that rhetoric about an egalitarian country mean something. But here is our press release 801. The future of public education. Well, what is it? 
The future of public education, we suggest, is its people. Supporters of public education in Australia are, understandably, both concerned and weary at the thought of the battle to be fought for three years under a penny-pinching coalition government. But public education, like democracy, is like an onion with many layers of protection. It is genuinely public, open to all children, and given government neglect, to call a public school a government school is fast becoming a misnomer. In this, it is unlike its opponents, which depend upon a mask of false rhetoric, greed, misrepresentation and downright lies, not to mention billions of dollars of taxpayers' money for their survival. The opening up of private schools to the children of all Australian citizens who pay for them after all is long, long overdue. The most pervasive lie peddled by religious private school interests is that public schools are dominated by an over-centralised, autocratic, bureaucratic department. This may be the pot calling the kettle black, given the political and financial centralisation of the Catholic and other religious systems. But in fact, the Education Department of Victoria has been emasculated by many restructures and it's also been undermined by private school operatives in the department itself since the 1980s. But regardless of this, public education still has a future in Australia. Corina Haythorpe, who's the president of the AUEU, in a speech to the South Australia Future of Education Conference, tells us why. And then she provides us with a moving example from her own experience. Corina says, The future of public education has always been about its people. The principals, the leaders, the teachers, the support staff, the students and the families in preschools, schools and TAFE. And history bears this out, Karina. The state system, the national system as it was called in the 19th century, got off the ground because the parents demanded that the government pay to have schools for their children. Uh, Then Karina tells her own story, and I think it's a really rather lovely story, so I'd like to share it with you. At the age of 15, Karina dropped out of school and went fishing. Her school, Streaky Bay Area School, was about 750 kilometres from Adelaide on the west coast of South Australia, and it didn't offer Year 12. So understandably, Karina lost interest and got a job on a fishing boat as a deckhand instead. Well, that's a pretty good uh, school of hard knocks, isn't it? Her life could have taken a very different course if it wasn't for a small group of committed public school teachers who became frustrated by the lack of options for children in that rural community. These teachers successfully lobbied the South Australian Education Department to offer a Year 12 curriculum and six months after setting sail, Karina found herself back in the classroom with teachers who dedicated themselves to making sure that a few country children had the opportunity to reach their potential. 
Those teachers gave Karina and her fellow students a future that they did not know was possible. The the ability of the teachers to influence government and inspire disengaged teenagers left a deep imprint on Karina. And it's the reason she became a teacher and the reason she joined the teachers' union. Now, as AEU president, she sees teachers like those who taught her every day. They're teachers with a passion for sharing knowledge and changing lives. She also sees teachers impeded by the impact of increasing workloads because the members of the union commonly tell her that not only are they being expected to work too many hours, but the increased work that is asked of them makes little or no contribution to their students' learning. It's a case of not only too much work, but even the wrong work. And this, of course, is because so much of that work has been decentralised uh, and it should be done by a central bureaucracy. That's my view. Australian public school teachers are amongst the most innovative and enthusiastic adopters of new ideas and approaches to education, according to the OECD's Teaching and Learning International Survey 2018 report. However, the report also reinforced that the school's time spent teaching had fallen in the last five years, while time spent on administration increased and is now 33% higher than the OECD average. This is also impacting on professional commitments, with 60% of Australian teachers reporting that their own development is being curtailed by conflicts with their work schedule. And I suggest that Karina should be looking at what happened in the 19th century when the administration tasks were taken into the centre and teachers were allowed to get on with teaching because our central departments have been decentralised and emasculated, our teachers and, above all, our principals are being overloaded with administrative tasks. Now, this is the reality now confronting our public school teachers. And the South Australia Future of Education Conference offered them the opportunity to take some time out for professional development to look up and contemplate how they want the future for their children so that they can reframe their reality. So as they face more years, three more years of a coalition government, which is certainly not pro-public schools, which says very openly that they have DNA in their... uh, They have private schools in their DNA, and we have a a strange religious uh, prime minister who says that his skin crawls at the thought of his children going to state schools where he wouldn't be where he was if it wasn't for the state school system. One just wonders where we are at. What is our reality in Australia? But um, although most teachers didn't get the result that they wanted at the election, uh, Karina, for one, is proud that they put public education on the national agenda right across the board, and they did from preschool funding to addressing the inequality between public and private school funding arrangements as well as the defunding of TAFE. And we'll be talking about TAFE later in this program. So the teachers are going to continue their campaign 
of shining a light on public education issues until they reach their objectives. Now, dogs note that public education has always survived and flourished, even in its darkest days back in the 19th century. And they were dark days, I assure you, because Australian parents and taxpayers, when they're confronted with the reality that communities and the next generation really matter, reject the misrepresentations and the mantras of the privatised sector and they get down to basics and they fight. So um, I took heart from Karina's story and I hope you who are listening to us take heart as well because uh, the fight is never over for public education. And sometimes when it's the worst time is the best time to really fight. So we'll have a little break and have some music and then we'll come back and talk about some other matters. After that jolly piece by Scarlatti, we've got some not-so-jolly facts and figures from the Save Our Schools group. We've been giving you their facts and figures. First of all, we had the facts and figures on uh, education funding throughout Australia, which were not very good for public schools. And then we had the ones for Victoria last week, which it was a scandal, given that Mr Morris has just... Morrison and Mr Andrews have just um, done a deal in which public schools have been uh, rather badly treated. Now we have some facts about school funding in Queensland. And Trevor Cobalt tells us that the total government funding per student in Queensland private schools, adjusted for inflation, that is real funding, 
increased over three times that for public schools between 2009 and 2017. Even during the Gonski funding period of 2013 to 17, the funding increase for private schools was over double that for public schools. And while the Queensland Government increased current dollar funding of public schools between 2009 and 17, it actually cut the real funding by $2,011 per student. That's 2.5%. In the Gonski funding period, it actually cut public school funding by $340 or 3.9% per student. And the cut means that public schools have fewer human and material resources per student. As in the case of most other states, the Queensland Government took the opportunity of the increased Commonwealth funding for public schools to cut its own real funding of public schools while increasing the funding for the private schools. So this is the pattern throughout Australia in the last decade. The private schools have been raking in our taxpayer dollars at a tremendous rate while our public schools are being overfunded. Now there's a reason uh, why the private schools of course need it. They are inefficient, they duplicate facilities and they are uneconomic. So it is well, well over time if we were interested in real, efficient and economic governance of education in Australia, that we look at this situation and realise that private school funding is uneconomic, inefficient, duplicates and is really not a good idea for a future generation of Australia. And uh, it's reaching the stage that it did in the 19th century where it's about time we considered taking them over because we'd save an awful lot of money and we'd certainly give our, all of our children in Australia a much, much better education. Now, here's some more figures in Queensland. The total income per student of Queensland's so-called independent schools was 40% more than in the public schools in 2017, while that of Catholic schools was 14% higher. So your old Protestant establishment is doing very nicely up there, even better than the very aggressive Catholic establishment. The total income of public schools was 14,217 compared to 19,843 in independent schools per student and 16,278 in Catholic schools. So public schools are doing a good job and they cost 14,000.2,000 per student. So-called independent, let's call them the old Protestant schools, uh, per student it is costing the taxpayer almost 20,000 per student and it's costing in Catholic schools over 16,000, 16.2,000. So... This just fulfills my view that it's time we took them over. They cost too much. And for what? They're certainly not producing a better product. If we think in terms of children and their education as commodities. Uh, here at the Dogs we don't. We think of them as children who should be given opportunities for the future of Australia. Now here's some more. Funding 2000 to, to 
2009 to 2017 disparities. And Trevor, if you go to the Save Our Schools uh, website, you'll see that he's got some very interesting bar graphs. The income disparity between the public and private schools has widened substantially since 2009. Gonski, forget about Gonski, perhaps he, he did it, didn't do public education such a good service after all. The total real income per student in public schools increased by $410, 3.8% per student, but it increased by 2,150 or 19.9% in Catholic schools and by 1,946 or 14.1% for the other non-government schools. So that's pretty, pretty substantial increases for the Catholic. The Catholic schools got the most, but the Protestant schools weren't doing quite so badly, or so-called non, non, let's call them non-Catholic schools. The increased income disparity between the public and the private schools was mainly due to much larger Commonwealth funding increases for private schools than for public schools, and the large fee increases in the so-called independent schools, non-Catholic schools, and the reduced funding of public schools by the Queensland Government. Now, the worrying thing is that the Queensland public schools will remain underfunded, as they are in Victoria, indefinitely, while the private schools will continue to be overfunded. Under the new Commonwealth Queensland funding agreements, Queensland public schools will only ever be funded at 91% of the schooling resource standard, at best, while the private schools will continue to be funded at well over 100%. So it's very much the same as we have here in Victoria. So the private schools are being overfunded, 105%, and the public schools are only getting about 91% of this resource standard, which was set up by Gonski. Uh, I suggest, since the public schools are still doing a very, very good job, and we'll uh, talk about this a bit later, that uh, perhaps we had better rethink the whole funding and do it economically and efficiently and start taking over the private schools, starting with the Catholic sector. And the reason I say this is that there was a very interesting headline in the age of this last week. I'm looking at it here, and it was Monday, July the 15th, that I opened my age and I saw sex abuse cost hit the Christian brothers. Well, I don't know who's paying for it exactly, and I'd like to know a lot more. I'm told that the viability of the Christian brothers is in doubt as the religious order is forced to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to settle an avalanche of compensation claims stemming from decades of sex abuse, child abuse. The Australian wing of the Christian brothers has already spent more than $213 million on victims' payouts and legal expenses in the past six years, with the order expecting to outlay at least another $134 million. Now, my question is, how much of this is our taxpayers' money? 
given that the Christian Brothers schools are still in operation and receiving billions of money from the taxpayer. As the survivors continue to seek compensation under the National Redress Scheme, the Catholic Order is relying on massive injections of cash from its regional headquarters to pay out the people who were abused in its schools and orphanages. So where does that money come from? Figures show that the Christian Brothers spent only $3.6 million in legal and litigation expenses in 2013, the year the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse was established. Then, when I keep reading down, this information gets more and more nasty. Uh, they're spending a great deal more, over $120 million in 2018, but they haven't spent very much until this year. And we're told 22% of its religious members have been identified as alleged abusers. Now, that's only the ones that have been identified in this order. And these people have been in charge of the education of Australian children for many generations, and they still are. Who were these people who were part of this um, cadre? They were padres, I suppose, uh, who were abusing children. Among them were brothers Gerald Leo Fitzgerald, Edward Dowland, Robert Best from St Alpius in Ballarat, the same school that harboured notorious paedophile Gerald Risdale and became one of the most shocking examples of the church's crimes and cover-ups. But while the Christian Brothers signed up to the National Redress Scream in February, it has yet to explain how it will meet the future costs of participating in the 10-year scheme when its Australian wing has repeatedly reported huge financial losses over the past six years. Well, you can't see any losses, I assure you, when you look at one of their schools, like a parade college up in the northern suburbs. It has the most extraordinary uh, grounds and, uh, and, and facilities. One wonders what is going on like on here. So we're now told everything is hunky-dory because there aren't too many Christian brothers involved in their schools. But really, I cannot see why, in these circumstances, these people should be allowed to have anything whatever to do with children, let alone the education of children. And yet, billions of dollars are going to this particular church to run a system which deals with uh, a very high percentage of Australian children. That, that's just the question. I'm, I'm reading this. I've been reading this from the age. People would love to call me anti-Catholic, I'm sure. I'm not, actually. They're good, good people who call themselves Catholics. I'm anti the abuse of children, and I'm anti, and the dogs are anti, the giving of state aid, taxpayers' money, to the enterprises of such people. So we'll have another break.
because then we want I want you to hear from Dale. She has a really interesting article on TAFE. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. It will be worth the effort to get to Darwin from the 2nd to the 4th of August for the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's National Conference. Australia at the Crossroads, time for an independent foreign policy. Held under the ominous shadow of US-China contention and US-Australia military exercises for war on China, discussion and speakers will address the social and economic cost of militarism to Australia, the impact of militarism on the environment and the dangers posed to our peace and security by stationing US troops in Darwin. For more details, head to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's website at ipan.org.au. IPAN is a 3CR supporter.
And you're listening to The Dogs Programme on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And we've just been listening to some rather nice music from Purcell. And Dale has an interesting article to refer you to. The Dogs are pro-public education from uh, the preschool area even up to the tertiary area. And she has a very interesting article from The Conversation, which was up on their website during the week, on TAFE. And the question that's being asked here is, when we think about our future in Australia and our children's education, who are we going to follow? Because unfortunately Australia has always been a follower in this area. Are we going to follow America? Or are we going to have a look at other countries like the Scandinavian countries? So over to Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got an article uh, or a paper here written by Andrew Scott, who's a professor of politics and policy at Deakin University. And this is an extract from a briefing note, uh, Degrees North, Vocational and University Education in Australia and Nordic Countries, which was published by the Australian Institute and circulated ahead of the Nordic Policy Centre's roundtable discussion on building an equitable vocational pathway in Australia. AU Federal President Corinna Haythorpe and the new Federal TAFE Secretary Maxine Sharkey also attended the roundtable. And it's entitled uh, Learning from Finland, Lessons for Australia's Vocational Higher Educational Future. By 2023, Australia will need more workers qualified with TAFE certificates than university degrees. Yet still, the government won't commit to funding TAFE. The Finnish approach to education recognises that many people have vocational aptitudes that are not best fostered in standard academic environments. Those young people's attentions are engaged and their enthusiasm aroused by teaching methods different from those drawn from a traditional book, from the tradition of book learning. Very many of those young people are highly intelligent are highly intelligent in questioning the nature of practical and mechanic, mechanical and electronical f- electronic phenomena, such as how car motors work. Their curiosity to find the answers to those questions can lead them on a journey of discovery, during which they come to acquire general skills and to understand abstract mathematical principles. Australia can learn from Finland's attainment of excellence with equity in its post-school education institutions. This is in addition to the equitable and respected vocational learning opportunities provided in Finland's secondary schools. The World Economic Forum's report on human capital and preparation of people for the future of work ranks Finland at number two in the world, behind only Norway whereas Australia is at number 20. The same source shows that both countries have a high tertiary education enrolment rate, 87.3% in Finland and 90.3% in Australia, whereas Finland's vocational enrolment rate is 71.3%, number six in the world, and Australia's vocational enrolment rate is only 50.5%, number 22 in the world. Finland also spends 7.2% of GDP on education, compared with Australia's 5.2%. There needs to be 
more affordable access in 21st century Australia to a range of quality higher education experiences which best suit the talents and interests of young people. We do not at present properly recognise the resource, properly recognise and resource vocational pathways. We need to achieve a better balance between vocational and academic learning. We still have to break free from the prejudice in many English-speaking countries against vocational education as being somehow culturally inferior to academic learning. The current costs of higher education in Australia are so prohibitive for many young people from disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds. More support including through careers advice, needs to be provided for young people who are suited to work in a skilled trade to pursue that pathway. Practical, incremental steps can be taken to provide the support which are informed by relevant overseas experience. Crucial first steps include restoring proper funding of TAFE institutes in Australia. Rebuilding public TAFEs. TAFE institutes need now to be placed on a more equal footing with universities to create a more coherent, less fragmented post-school education sector. While these two types of institutions should continue to play different roles, that is, TAFEs to specialise in skills and universities in research, there needs to be a less status Division. There needs to be less status divisions and greater cooperation between them. TAFE institutes are the places in Australia where mature age workers can develop new skills after they leave one type of job to enter a different type of job. Those transitions range from retaining former retail workers to fill shortages of midwives to adding plumbers' expertise so they can take up expanding job opportunities in renewable energy. The hybrid status of the dual sector, Australian universities, complicates comparisons between Finland's universities and polytechnics on the one hand, and Australia's universities and TAFE institutes on the other hand. Nevertheless, the broad trends are very clear. Since the 1990s, there's been a publicly funded further expansion of Finland's polytechnics, now known as Universities of Applied Science, or UAS. By contrast, their closest equivalents in Australia, the TAFE Institutes, have in the same period had their funding and enrolments reduced and their programs undermined by the rise of poor quality privatised providers. Mm. It is startling to read how in Australia in 1996, 98% of students receiving publicly funded VET, vocational education training, were in TAFE, 83% or not-for-profit community education providers, 15%. But by 2016, this had fallen to 49% and 6% respectively. Another startling fact is that since 2008, which was the year in which the Council of Australian Governments, or COAG, decided to give private providers greater access to public funding, Publicly funded training hours in vocational education in Australia declined by almost 26% for for TAFE, while they rose by 199% for private providers. Experts 
who have advised governments on both sides of Australian politics, meanwhile, warn that VET participation levels have undergone a significant decline since 2012, particularly among 15 to 24-year-olds. They argue that there's now an urgent priority for governments to act quickly and decisively to arrest the continuing decline in public investment in VET and associated costs shifting to students. An overemphasis in Australia on academic university courses as the only desirable post-secondary education option has contributed to the downgrading of TAFE. It has also pushed many young people away from learning the vocational skills to which they are best suited. These trends run contrary to federal government departmental projections of employment growth for for the five years to 2023, which indicate that more jobs in that year will require certificates two, three or four, particularly the certificate three awarded by TAFE institutes to tradespeople, then will require a a bachelor degree or higher university qualification. Different but equal. Finland's post-school education system is different to Australia's. Finnish researchers say that the country has 14 universities concentrating on basic research and education and 23 universities of applied sciences focused on higher vocational learning and R&D or applied research. There is a continuing binary diversity between the university sector and the universities of applied science, sciences, the former polytechnics in Finland, but in a less competitive and stratified way than other countries which also have high participation in post-school learning. Further, in higher education, the role of trust, apparent in Nordic ideas of evaluation, especially in Finland, can be seen in the aim to use evaluation as an instrument of enhancement rather than an instrument of control and differentiation through the use of league tables. This approach to evaluation is well known in Finnish secondary schools and is similarly important in post-secondary education. Finnish governments emphasise the specific missions of each sector, steering horizons, steering horizontal differentiation or diversity between them, rather than a status hierarchy. The key to this is the low intensity of competition between the higher higher education institutions, and emphasis placed on cooperation and parity of esteem between institutions. Further, the state follows the principle of equal but different by producing both a skilled vocational labour force and a high-quality academic labour force. Together with the policy principle of lifelong learning, this is seen to serve better the needs of knowledge-based society than a single system of higher education based on vertical stratification of institutions. The potential for the academic drift of polytechnics and the vocational drift of universities was discussed in the 1990s when the UAS sector was established. However, during the 20 years of the existence of the UAS, the dividing line between universities and UAS has remained clear and accepted by both sectors. Finland's Universities of Applied Science closely cooperate with workplaces and as part of regional development policies. They operate very much like the Fachhochschule in Germany, 
Also, in Finland, distinctions are not so clearly connected to institutional status because unlike the situation in the United States where graduation from an Ivy League university is in itself a sufficient passport to the elite echelons of the labour market, in Finland, differential jobs and salaries derive not from institutional reputation but mostly from the differences between disciplines and professions. Hence, institutional brand plays a comparatively limited role in shaping socially stratified outcomes. Does Australia want to be more Nordic or more American? Australian expert Simon Marginson argues that the developed world can now choose between one of two approaches to higher education. One is Nordic and the other is American. One is primarily social and egalitarian, the other primarily individual and meritocratic. He shows that the American approach works well for the minority who are successful, but it works less well than does the Nordic approach for the majority of people. Magensen explains how the Nordic countries in Europe are the most developed examples of countries which have configured their higher education systems on a common good basis. Public institutions are central to this. The question for Australia is, what is the prevailing balance between the American and Nordic approaches and in which direction is that balance moving? He argues the way forward is to lift the quality of higher education, as in the Nordic world, so that inherited privilege becomes less socially divisive in education itself. Marginson highlights how in Nordic societies, unlike the United States or the United Kingdom, higher education tends to enhance social equality and mobility. He compares the odds of enrolling in higher education for two groups of 20 to 34-year-olds, those with at least one parent who attended tertiary education and those neither of whose parents attended. On this measure, intergenerational mobility is high in the Nordic world and low in the United States, with Americans from tertiary educated families 6.8 times as likely to enter tertiary education compared to those from non-tertiary families, similar to a figure for England, which is 6.3. The data on which Marianson draws shows that in Australia, meanwhile, people with a tertiary education parent or parents are 4.3 times as likely to enter tertiary education than are people without a tertiary education parent. In Finland, by contrast, they are only 1.4 times as likely. Finland has thus achieved remarkable upward educational mobility for people from less privileged family backgrounds. Australia can clearly learn from this to further realise the full talents of our people on a basis of ability rather than on a basis of inherited advantage. To reclaim the way to higher education as common good, which Anglo-American society has lost, Australia, according to Marginson, needs to reduce its steep hierarchy of higher education institutions so that all qualifications are valued as they are in Nordic nations. 
While in Nordic countries, there are mission distinctions between research-orientated universities and universities of applied sciences, differences in resources are slight and status differentials are moderate. Therefore, the Nordic countries show that it is possible to sustain both high-quality research-intensive universities and other effective institutions. This should be our goal in Australia. Well, thank you so much uh, for all that. Uh, We'll have just a little break and then we'll come back with a great state school. This is our country. We've never forgotten where we've come from. Or who we are. We keep our culture strong. Now it's time to come together. Talk as equals. And write our own future. This is our country. And this is our time. Treaty is time. Enroll now for the First People's Assembly of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State schools. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Well, here we are back. And I'm sorry Robert's not here this week. He might be here next week. But we have to have the great, the great state school. And I've got it in the age again on Monday. Monday was a good day for public education in Australia. Uh, and uh, I'm told about a little school that could. And what is this little school? It's a country primary school that had a passionate leader, classrooms and some animals but it had something no school wants. It had a poor reputation and it had just two students. So it was due to be closed and flogged off by the the government. The school's new acting principal called a meeting to find out whether locals wanted the school to survive. And, of course, they did. Uh, And this gentleman was a teacher called Chris Burgess. What would persuade families to send their child to the school, he asked the locals. More students, the people replied. Now, that was a tough ask, but the people got their wish. Student numbers have grown from two in 2012 to 75 in 2019. And uh, that is due to a passionate teacher. I didn't know the school would get this large, said Mr Burgess. And what school is this? It's a place called Taradale Primary School, which is 100 kilometres northwest of Melbourne and quite close to Castle, Maine. Uh, it's up, in fact, where a lot of the, um, the tree change people have been moving, artists and others. Uh, this, uh, Mr Burgess, the principal, said the school had a reputation for being cash-strapped and run down, for staff turnover and behavioural problems among the students and all the people around expected it to close. But Mr Burgess believed that there was a place for his school, but it had to be different. And he thought that there was no use replicating the curriculum of the neighbouring schools. 
he decided to draw on his background teaching children of asylum seeker background. That involved a lot of hands-on learning, not come in the class and get on get out an English textbook, he said. Taradale Primary School calls itself a nature school. Now, think about what this man is doing and what he's being allowed to do. The private school rhetoric says that every public school is the same. There's conformity. Here you have a teacher who is a non-conformist doing very interesting things in the local public school. Uh, so Mr Burgess said, hands-on learning involved going outside and doing things using nature and play-based learning, including the animals, not just sitting in the classroom. So the school started the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Program and bought sheep to add to the chooks that were already there. It reopened a playgroup to attract the families of the um, preschool children and it opened a Facebook program, Instagram and Twitter, social media pages to show that students did mix with other children and to dispel myths about the school's facilities. We found a big dead pine tree to explore, the social media account state. The Prep 1-2 children are having a great time exploring, creating, playing and learning in the forest at school this morning. Now, Tara Dale just has 448 people, according to the latest census, and most of them are artists and former Melburnians like Mr Burgess himself. And many in this alternative community were homeschooling their children, and Mr Burgess sought them out. For a lot of them, it was their own experiences of schools that made them want to homeschool their children, he said. They saw it as being very regimented, a one-size-fits-all, come to school, get a textbook, this is what you do, here is your homework, he said. I explained that that wasn't my philosophy around education, and I asked, what about part-time schooling for these children? We had a couple of students then enrol part-time, because... What is important about school, of course, is social interaction. And Mr Burgess said that his Steiner training in art and craft was appealing for the local families. There are a few people who like the idea of Steiner but might not have been able to afford it or it didn't meet what they thought it was going to be. And I can assure you that a lot of the Steiner schools that have started in Australia are a long, long way from what Steiner is in Europe. Another step was making life easier for the families and family day care for younger children and before and after children, sorry, and before and after care for older children was introduced, which was a boon for parents who worked as far afield as Melbourne or Bendigo. Jane E. Parkhill, a mother of students at Taradale Primary as well as educator at the family day care, said that the day care had been a great way to boost the enrolment at the school. So there you are. Now let, let's see what I can find out, as Robert does, on the My School website. The Australian Government recurrent funding is only 149,261 in 2018, which is 2,870 per student uh, of Australian Government funding. The state puts in 479 or 9,000, 9.2,000 per student. 
There are fees here. The parents have to fork up 631 for, per student if they can afford it because that is a voluntary fee in public education. But the other private sources are very interesting indeed. These parents of 75 children have raised last year 35491 So there you have a great deal actually of private uh, resources going into a public school. And around Australia that is now reaching the billion dollar mark which means that we no longer have free public education in this country unless for the very poor. Uh, the total gross income for the year was 696,648, which is 13,397 per student, which is less than what the average is. So Tyradale is certainly our great state school for the week. Uh, and Mr Burgess is our teacher for the week. So that's it for the dogs program for this week. If you want to find out more about us, then just go to the website at www.adogs.info. But it's bye for now from Dale and myself. I dreamed I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe says I Him standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find
this is our country. We've never forgotten where we've come from. Or who we are. We keep our culture strong. Now it's time to come together. Talk as equals. And write our own future. This is our country. And this is our time. Treaty is time. And roll now for the First People's Assembly of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne.